We're still teaching on the whole counsel of God, the, what it means to teach expositionally, why we have a conviction to teach the whole counsel, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, every verse, every chapter of the Bible. We pray that we could say, like Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. One of the other reasons we want to teach the scripture is because what uh, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, you search the scriptures, and we're talking about the Pharisees. He's talking to them. He's directing this <laughs> to, to them. John five thirty nine. you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. And so we're to search the scriptures. Um, but what the Pharisees did, um, the Bible leaders in Israel, is they searched the scriptures. We're supposed to do that. Uh, but they did thinking they had a lock uh, on eternal life and a relationship with God just by searching the scripture. Like, I've got the Bible. I know the Bible. I'm a Bible expert. I'm in with God. There's a danger. There's a built-in danger learning theology, Bible, and so forth. You know that, I know that. Our head can swell up so big we can't even get out the door because we know so much Bible. But they missed it because that Bible they were studying was testifying to each of them about Jesus, and they were unwilling to come to him that they might have life. And the whole issue of the kingdom of heaven is life, spiritually speaking, to people who are dead in trespasses and sins, not just knowledge, head knowledge, not just concepts, not just principles. It's about life and relationship. Yeah, study the Bible, but don't miss the life. Why? Because these Pharisees, they weren't looking for or receiving the testimony about the life giver. You go to the Bible, you get all kinds of amazing information out of it and even a variety of valid, accurate information. But here's the point of the Word of God. It testifies, it tells us about, it reveals Jesus. It unfolds, unveils Jesus. And if we go to the Word of God and we don't let it tell us of Him, and let it stir an appetite, a desire to come to Him, you know what we miss? It says here we miss life. And uh, yeah, we can get coated with layers of religious deadness and become a religious know-it-all. And, <laughs> and so uh, well, that's one reason we want to get the Word of God out to people, the whole counsel of, of the Word of God, because all of it is really testifying of Jesus. And people need to come to know Jesus and find life, not just initially to be born again and enter into the family of God, but continually. And the only place you can find eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And the only place you can find abundant life after we've been born into the family of God, abundant, victorious, overcoming life in a daily sense is in the same person, Jesus Christ. It's about life, not just existence, not just uh, eking by an existence and, and, and surviving. People who are dead and trespasses and sins have a physical existence that people call life. But when the scripture speaks of life, it's characterized by God, sourcing from him, 
and it is manifested in our lives, in love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit, in life that feeds our soul, that uh, feeds our spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, and gives us a spiritual tenacity, and it's the very life of Christ that penetrates our lives. It's a life as God imparts it, and it's found only in and through Christ. And so that's why we want to get the Word of God out. That's why we want to get it out, because people come to Jesus and they find life. First Peter one twenty three, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man of the flower of grass and the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of God is the incorruptible seed which gives eternal life. And that's why we need to get the word out. Because his word is a seed of eternal life. It gives life and it lives and it abides forever. His word endures forever. Uh, The word of God is a seed. It's implanted in hearts. It will not fade away. It stands. It bears, uh, it'll bear eternal seed. And uh, the life-bearing seed of the word of God is how we're born again. It's incorruptible through a gospel message of the word of God. The word came into our lives. It was for me, for sure, the word of God. I was in Second Corinthians chapter 4. We're hard pressed on every side but not crushed. I was reading that passage right in that section. And my life at that moment was so hard pressed. I was going through such difficulty at that moment. When I read that passage, it jumped off. It gripped my heart. It was a seed that birthed eternal life. It was the word of God. And it was the spirit of God convicting me. And I called upon the name of Jesus because I read further about in the Gospels. And then I read at the back that uh, in this Gideon's Bible, I read that Jesus died for me and rose again from the dead for me. And that I was separated from God by my sins. Nobody had to convince me that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was very much convinced I was a sinner. I was seeking a savior and I found him in the very New Testament in the word of God. And the message of the word of God came into my life. And I'm sure there were some that had prayed or watered my life. But it was the spirit of God convicting me. And I called on the name of Jesus. And that's what would happen. The seed of the gospel germinated in my heart and it brought eternal life. I was born again. This is why I got to get the word of God out. I must tell people I am convicted. I am convinced people need to hear the word of God. It's a seed full of life. It can get planted into hearts. I want to broadcast it far and wide. It can bring dead people to life in Christ because it did for me. You know, we got a tiny church, but we got a big heart for Jesus in our broom closet. I was able to secure by the grace of God. This is uncharacteristic of a tiny micro church such as ours but in our broom closet we have a radio studio and we have an antenna on the roof of our uh, rented leased upstairs upper room above the downtown drug store in downtown glenwood springs we have a low power fm radio station 
And the whole point, what God showed me is that I could broadcast the word of God like planting seeds in our little community. And so that's why I, uh, uh, I pursued radio ministry. So we have a youth camp, which doubles as a conference center, which doubles as a Bible college extension campus. And we have a little church with a radio station and we have an online school. These are the things, uh, a portfolio of micro ministries that end up being a full-time work, uh, not a lot of help or revenue uh, producing, uh, but yet, you know, we're ministering uh, the word of God. And that's what we do. We're just committed at the camp to disciple young people. Uh, we do these epic uh, outdoor adventures, these we call it upward bound. Uh, you know, we go upward and forward into the mountains, hiking, uh, rock climbing, uh, backpacking, fishing, and, you know, and we do some outdoor adventures. And we do that with high school and college age. And we do disciple on the trail, discipleship on the trail. And I work with people. And then we, we come back to the base camp, have a meal, shower up, uh, pack our bags, and out to the airport, I send people back where they came from. Uh, I have found that this is just a great way to get people away from it all. No cell phone, no Wi-Fi. We just don't have cell towers or Wi-Fi in this blessed remote wilderness of the uh, of the Rocky Mountains. And we're able to get the word of God into people's lives in a deep way. Anyway, First Peter chapter 2, newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that they may grow by thereby. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. Uh, new believers need milk to grow on. And many Christians that get born again, they get very little of the word. And that equals very little growth. Uh, think of it if a person ate as much real food for the physical body as the amount that they feed in the word of God for their spiritual growth. Um, <laughs> they'd be malnourished. Little word, little growth. We need spiritual nourishment and that's what the word of god does for us for us and you know i like to explain to people i try to convince them <laughs> to get into the word of god it's kind of like you know when we eat our our stomach stretches if we eat a lot and we've got an appetite we're not satisfied with just a little meal we need a lot more and similarly the more we get into the word of god the more we get uh the whole counsel of god uh, we get every bit of nourishment and it stretches our capacity to enjoy it. And we get a hunger and appetite for more of it. We want to get the word in our lives, but then we want to get it out there. That's what we do as pastor teachers, as ministry leaders. Uh, we want people to get born again and nurtured with the milk of the word of God. They need milk in the beginning to begin growing, but eventually they need meat. I mean, you know, even the age you are now, uh, you got to have more than milk. And that's the point that we would desire more than milk, that you would grow. And a lot of people are, they drink milk and that's it. And they, they've lived their Christian life as a baby. Their stunt, their growth is stunted. And the Bible teaches that meat is for the mature. And, 
if you want to, if we want to, if the people that we're ministering to want to go on to maturity, to spiritual fullness, we need meat. Hebrews 5.12, you knew where I was going. Hebrews 5.12, verse 14, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you. Man, I get, I get, I go crazy because I've got uh, people in my life that I know ought to be teachers. I know that God's got a calling on their life. I know that they have a spiritual gifting, and yet they're still on the bottle, so to speak. And by this time, they ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the first principles of the oracle of God. You've had, you've come to need milk and not meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food, or that meat, belongs to those who are of full age. That is, uh, that is though who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And um, those who take in the word are exercised by it. They chew on it. They respond to it. And as they do, they're nurtured by it, and then they mature, really. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you suspect the meat of the word of God is? I want to talk about that for a moment because I I, I think there's something here uh, that is... Not often, it's kind of misunderstood, I think, I mean, personally. I'm just going to talk about it for a moment here. If you look at the context, the writer of, the, the writer of Hebrews, whether that's Paul, I think it was Paul, but whoever it might have been, the writer of Hebrews wanted to talk to them about Christ as Melchizedek, the eternal priest, an eternal priest, not a priest after Aaron and Levi in an order when one man dies and the other takes his place, but a priest by the power of an everlasting life, you want to talk to them about that. And, you know, they're not really going to get it. It was too meaty for them. And uh, we have to go back to the elementary principles, chapter six, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, baptism, laying on hands, resurrection, eternal judgment, important things. Those are very important things, but they're milk. What is the meat? the things of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't outgrow our need to learn of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the meaty part of the word. The rest is the milky part. Milk is good, it's nurturing. But when we learn who Jesus is, knowing Jesus, there's no greater priority I believe that's clear in the scripture to know him, what he's done, what kind of priesthood does he have now? How does that impact me here on earth? The things of Christ. And that's what we want to tell people about milk and meat in their diet. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. I love this passage. You do too. Boy, we could spend forever right here. It's living, it's powerful, sharper than any uh, surgeon's blade, piercing even to the decision, the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, you know, 
20 hours on this verse if you want to. I'm sure you're thinking, oh my goodness, Pastor Jeff, we've been in these podcasts forever. Yeah, it's part of uh, so many scriptures to cover. I'm trying to go fast. Stick with me. It's worth it. Keep listening. Uh, I know you're multitasking. Come back to me when we talk about Hebrews 4.12. Let's pay attention. Let's have some reverential attentiveness to the very word of God. This is life-giving word of God. And it's worthy of that kind of attention because of the content, the word of God. Um, and we want to give the full counsel. Because why? It's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. This is the character of the word, the nature of the word. What's the word like? It's alive. Unlike any other kind of writing literature on this earth, the Spirit of God brings the vitality, the life of God infused and right through the Word of God. It's powerful. There's power in the Word of God. We hear a lot of words of man, don't we? Especially during um, these election seasons. <laughs> we hear a lot of words of man. I mean, deliver us from that. Uh, they try to demonstrate power, but yet they're powerless. And the day we're living in, in social media and, and the news feeds and the Twitter feeds and everything else, they try to demonstrate power, all the marketing, powerless. The Word of God is powerful. That's what changes lives, shapes lives, gives lives, brings strength, imparts love, hope, peace, power in the Word of God, you know. People say, well, I'm ministering to unbelievers. They don't even believe the Bible is God's word. How am I going to reach them? Well, give them the word of God. Yeah, but they don't believe it. This is the difference between presupposition, presuppositional apologetics and classical uh, apologetics. There's different, different views on that. Um, but I think of a both uh, and view of apologetics that I believe in the presup view that says you bring them the word of God. You presuppose that the word of God has power and it will work in their lives. It's more complicated than that, obviously, but that's what this verse and passage reminds me when people say, yeah, but they don't believe the word of God. Well, where does faith come from? Faith comes comes by hearing the word, the word of God. It's alive. It's like a lion. And we talk about this uh, often, you know, how are you going to defend a lion? Well, he's, you know, pretty little kitty cat. He looks cute. He looks soft. Uh, you know, I don't believe he's strong and has sh uh, strong jaws and a sharp teeth and sharp claws. Well, you don't, let me just open the cage and the lion will do a very good job of defending itself on its own. I don't have to bring a defense, an apologia. I can just let the word of God out and let it do its work. And I believe the word of God was intended to do that. I don't, uh, don't misunderstand me. I love apologetics. I love to have a good answer. And I think apologetics are, you know, edifying for the believer more than they are at giving an answer but I like to give an answer that everybody asks that the hope that's within me. I like to have an intelligent answer. Of course I do. But I tell you what, there's more power in the word of God than my intelligent apologetic. Just saying. Because it's living, powerful, convincing, convicting, and it needs to be heard because it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So sharp. How sharp is it? I would call it a sharp surgical instrument 
so sharp it pierces down into the issues of soul and spirit that only God can sort out, even to the division of soul and spirit. Um, and yeah, those two words are synonymous often in the Bible. And sometimes the context, when we interpret soul and spirit, the context will let you know if they're uh, synonymously uh, described. But here, they're not the same because the word of God is going to divide them, sort them out. Um, spirit, let's talk about that. That's the core of our being when we're born again. The place where the spirit of God kind of wants to come and dwell. It's that place in our humanity that, uh, you know, where God comes and dwells in our spirit. The soul, I would say, is more related to the mind, emotions, will, things like that, our personality. And those things need to be sorted out. When we want to walk in the spirit, um, which impacts our mind, our emotions, our will, you can't live by those things, your willpower or your wherewithal or your soulishness or your, um, you know, your character or lack thereof or your personality or lack thereof. It's got to be something deeper. That's the spirit of God dwelling in our spirit, impacting our mind, our emotions, our will, our personality. That stuff has to be sorted out. We need to let the word of God divide soul and spirit, soul and spirit. Otherwise, we'll constantly walk according to the flesh. And so the word of God sorts all those things out. Now, let me just ask you, pause right here for a moment. Can you discern the difference between soul and spirit in your life? Do you know that the word of God can sort that out as you're in the word of God, can show you that soul, that spirit? And it even gets down there and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, we can't see each other in that. I can minister the word of God. I can look at a person's countenance. I don't know if their heart is saying, preach it, brother, or if they're saying, I got to get the heck out of here. Sometimes I could tell by looking at their countenance, but it's funny. You know, you could get a clue, um, you know, but I can see somebody's face glowing with love for the Lord and the word of God. But what they're thinking, I, I don't know. God only knows that. But see, the word of God can cuts in there and reveals that stuff, sorts it out. It lets us know where our heart's at, whether it's pleasing, acceptable. The word of God does that. It's got a power. It's got an ability because that's reserved for God, knowing what's in people's hearts, their motivations. God can do that. We can't. You know, and, and sometimes I look at a person's countenance. And I think, oh, this person's not listening to me. I remember I was a youth pastor some years ago, and there was a kid in the youth group that his arms were folded the whole time I was there. And I thought this guy just can't stand being here. Obviously his parents are making him show up. And there he was. I mean, two years, the guy sat there, never talked to anybody, never talked to me. I reached out to him. I prayed for him. I, I you know, I tried uh, and did what I could. I'm not really a very good youth pastor. I couldn't, you know, this was Oceanside, California. I couldn't ride a skateboard. I couldn't surf. I wasn't the cool dude. I didn't have the cool factor. I just taught the Bible and and tried to love and minister to the guys. But uh, anyway, what surprised me 
was, you know, I was working at the Bible college at the time, and I was also a youth pastor at the time. What surprised me is all of a sudden the guy shows up to Bible college. I'm thinking, what are you doing here? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, and he told me, he said, oh, uh, he said, oh yeah, he goes, uh, you know, God showed me, revealed his will to me while I was in the youth group. I said, you didn't listen to a word I said? Oh, he said, oh yeah, I soaked in everything you said. Everything you said went in my heart and I grew. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. See, we don't know what's in somebody's heart. We can't even tell by looking at their countenance. I remember Ch Pastor Chuck used to say this illustration. You might remember it as well, that he uh, he was ministering the word of God. A guy was always sitting on the front row and had his teeth clenched the whole time. And he's just thinking, why don't you go away? Why are you even here? Why are you so angry at me? And he, he remembers ministering. He says one time, all of a sudden, a tear started rolling down his cheek. And he's thinking, what's up with this guy? So we went, went over to talk to him afterwards. The guy came up to Chuck afterwards and said, hey, how, uh, the, you really ministered to me. His, his, his mouth had been wired shut from a car accident. So from his countenance, he looked like he was clenching his teeth and angry. But the reality was his heart was deeply being touched by the word of God. In other words... Uh, you get my illustration. The point is, we can't see each other's hearts, but the Word of God can really sort that out.